I just realized something that really annoyed me. What's that? There was a Sportsnet article about Dart Guy tweeting Sens fans to roast us for not selling out a game, and that was just the peak of everything I hate about <laughs> hockey media all in one place. Uh, what does like, Dart Guy think? What we have here is like younger Don Cherry with face paint, um, <laughs> and he's going to tell Ottawa fans about like how he took a day off work and then drove to Washington because presumably he's got the sort of lifestyle that affords him a lot of time off. I hope Dark Guy has kind of enjoyed his run because he's kind of going to be the Joe the Plumber of the 2017 playoffs. Like next year, it's going to be, hey, remember Dark Guy? And Dark Guy is still going to be on Twitter selling Dark Guy t-shirts that nobody's buying. Yeah, just stay in your lane. Exactly. Like, I don't come to where you work and like knock the cigarettes out of your mouth. <laughs> The next thing is going to be Dark Guy is selling, like, branded vape merchandise, and I'm just going to check out his society at that point. United in red, remember Todd White, where did Eric Carlson eat last night? It doesn't matter if you ask. It's the Chetland Luke Podcast. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode Weirkosh of the Chet Sellers and Luke Peristy Podcast. I'm Luke, and I'm joined as always by the man who never leaves the Canadian Tire Center with five minutes to go, no matter how much the sends are down. It's Chet Sellers. <laughs> how you doing, man? Pleasure to be here. Um, Love I'm the doing show. Great. <laughs> The podcast that still has full attendance. <laughs> yeah. Or the um, podcast that always sells out. One of the two. Exactly. It's 46 sellouts in a row for this podcast. <laughs> Can you believe it? I'd also like to point out that since we did our last podcast uh, last weekend and we were both extremely nervous about the state of the Ottawa Senators, they have not lost a game since then. So I'd like to take some credit for that. You did say that we were going to be back with a round two preview for the Rangers, and that's that's come to pass. Um, I'm very impressed with your work on this one. I, I got to say, like 100% grade to you, sir. Should we do Should we do a, a round two preview? Should we uh, uh, bury the lead a little bit and just uh, pretend that they haven't already beat the Rangers twice and talk about what some of our keys to the series are? We can, but I was really hoping on spending like at least. You know, like a hard 45 minutes on the draft lottery, <laughs> actually. I didn't think anything could be more exciting than the draft lottery when we were sitting through it last year, waiting to see if we would pick 10th or 11th. But it turns out uh, when you're in the playoffs, there's actually something better um, than that. I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't seen it with my own two eyes. How does the NHL do it day in and day out? They have these you know wild playoff games, and then they come back and they've got... Bill Daly with some envelopes. And you're like, wow, I didn't think anything could top the game itself. But Bill Daly does it for me. He does it again. It's the league that hates fun, but they do no drama. So, uh, Chet Sellers, uh, seen any good hockey games lately? <laughs> I will say I've been at games one and two. And although it might not have been completely full for game one, I would say in both games, people went home having received their money's worth, whatever they happened to pay for those tickets. It has been an extremely entertaining series so far with the Rangers and less stressful than the Bruins series for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, congratulations on being one of the, what, like seven people to go to game one, I guess. Um, <laughs> it was great because I, I called up and I said, hey, I'm thinking about going to game one. And they said, oh, well, what time can you show up? And I said, oh, like 730. And they said, great, we'll start it then. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, it was. We'll, we'll hold it for you. <laughs> it was. I mean, look, we can we can talk about the attendance a little bit. It was, you know, sixteen seven or whatever it was. It was still loud as hell in there. Obviously, it's not good. <laughs> that, it, well, like, that it wasn't full. I don't think I've seen anyone with a take being like, actually, this is good. And here's why. But how embarrassed you are, how much you want to explain the factors behind it. And there are a lot is kind of up to you. Uh, for me, I'm just sort of like, all right, well, that's not ideal. But they sold out Saturday. And I'm guessing based on the way things are going in this series, they will continue to sell out all of the home games they have going forward. Easily my favorite part about it is that the Sens not selling out a playoff game gives the Toronto-based media and Dart guy, apparently, the chance to <laughs> run their mouth and talk some like extremely uninformed smack and... I don't care for it, Chet. The Sens-Leafs rivalry subplot to this attendance fiasco is kind of the worst part of it for me. Because on the one hand, you've got Leafs fans that are like, not that I care at all about the Senators, but if I, but if I did care about the Senators, this would be very embarrassing. The Leafs fans like to go on about how, you know, the Senators are completely irrelevant. But at the same time, you do get a lot of sort of uninvited chirps on Twitter for whatever reason. At the same time, the Sens fan response, well, at least we're playing in the second round and you're not. How are those 20,000 empty seats going for you? Not everything has to be about the Leafs, Ottawa. That's all I'm saying. You don't I have mean, to I, get the Leafs suck jersey and get roasted on blogs for ruining your Senators jersey with Leafs suck 67 on the back. You don't have to think about Toronto all the time. You don't have to chant, this is our house, when there aren't any Leafs fans in the building. Like, it's okay. You can live your best life without thinking about Toronto, even if they're thinking about you. It's not even the people on Twitter that give me a hard time. It's when, like, someone like Bruce Arthur gets in there and just, like, comes by with, like, the drive-by takery that I can't stand it because um, that guy has like an actual audience and an actual platform and rather than you know going into whatever phoenix nonsense is going on the guy will just go oh ottawa not a hockey town send tweet and then i have to deal with a bunch of people like so right bruce ah, so so clever so clever yeah couldn't move, agree more couldn't yeah, agree more move him to quebec um, that's it there are a myriad number of factors as to why there was a problem. And at the same time, it's still a little bit confusing because they did sell out all three of their, you know, round one games. So I am a little bit surprised. I do think that, again, not to make excuses, but I do think a seven o'clock start on a work night to get out there is tough for a lot of people. And I would imagine, given the options between game one and game two, a lot of people would have said, you know what, I'd rather go on Saturday and make a day of it than try to leave work early and, and get out there uh, and again it's still not an ideal situation it should still be sold out although sellout kind of means different things too because they will call it a sellout with a wide variety of attendance between about 18 and 20,000 depending on how many they get in suites how much they get in standing rooms so I'm just ready to move on how about that Ottawa doesn't have the concentration of bankers and lawyers. You can just, just snap up a bunch of playoff tickets, um, no matter how many there are. You know, there might be some people out there who went, you know, round one is fun. I'm going to have to take a bit of a break on the playoff tickets. 
And like maybe I'll get to another game this series or next series, should there be one God willing. You know, yes, you're right. They don't have as much corporate support as they would in other cities. To me, if you're getting chirped by a Leafs fan on Twitter, the answer is not. <laughs> you guys have 20,000 empty seats because the best team in hockey in the regular season eliminated you from the playoffs in six hard fought games. It's you guys have, you know, basically six times the population and a lot of pent up demand because you've been terrible for years. Like that to me is the argument argument if you're going to say you know why isn't ottawa sold out there's less people there's less corporate support uh but it should still be sold out that's true it should still be sold out and um, and i and, suspect and just, it just will because be, we understand the reasons why it wasn't doesn't make it okay like i said i suspect it's not going to be a problem going forward i do think a lot of people were fairly embarrassed by it but i also think the last two games have been good enough that people are going to say oh i better actually get out and see this thing that i've heard so much about and the other thing is that like if you're listening to this podcast and you're like someone who went to like a game or two and haven't been to a round two game yet that's okay like enjoy hockey in an amount that's appropriate for you. Like, I'm not getting on some platform to shame people for not buying tickets if that's not a thing. No, they it's expensive. Like, it, it is. Like, I want to make that very clear. It's a lot of money to go to a game. And it's a, you yeah. know, it's a big, it's a big time and big money commitment. I don't think anybody's arguing that. So I don't, I don't begrudge people who say, you know what, I'm going to watch from a bar or I'm going to watch from home. But, you know, there just needs to be 18,000 people that say, you know what, I am going to make that time and money commitment because it's a really a lot of fun to be there. That's all you need. Uh, so should we talk about the end of the Bruins series? <laughs> no. All right. I like it. How did you feel, though, when they drew the Rangers, other than the elation of watching the Habs get eliminated? Here's the thing is that I thought we were going to play the Habs, and I thought we were going to lose to the Habs. I thought the Habs were a really bad matchup for the, for us this year. I, and I, so when we got the Rangers, it was kind of like free money. I was like, oh, good. We can definitely take these guys. Yeah, no, I was, I was excited to get the Rangers, too, because to me, they do feel like a team that Ottawa has had success against. London Quist obviously had a terrific series against the Habs, but at the same time, he didn't have the best year. And I was like, well, you know, I mean, he might come back to earth in the series against the Senators. The only other thing I really was thinking about the Rangers was Thomas Jefferson used to take three baths a day and the Rangers still had a D that was more washed than that. That's, <laughs> that's kind of my view on the Rangers when we drew that matchup. And I said, you know what? Ottawa's a fast team. And I think this is going to be this is going to be a good matchup. New York has some good players they're not quite as existentially terrifying as what boston had going on and then like the rangers best defenseman you're kind of like oh crap uh mcdonough's out there and then you realize that he's paired with dan girardi and you stop feeling so bad <laughs> and every time i've noticed mcdonough i'm like oh man can't believe this guy's on the ice again oh girardi's there We're, we got this it's fine uh, no the rangers obviously have more depth like they have better you know top to bottom lines but they don't have that kind of peak that the Bruins had with Bergeron and Marchand. So I think they've been pretty able to handle them so far. Like the defense other than Cody Zizi has looked okay. And they're doing it basically with a third pairing that, you know, you look at the roster and you're like, that's like B-Sens, like Clayson and Harper. But they, they seem to be making it work. And they, Clayson and Harper have actually looked pretty decent. The Ottawa Senators may be trotting out like a Binghamton Senators pairing on the third pairing right now, but it was Binghamton's first pairing, to be fair. Um, <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, 
Like, there you go. We're, we're so bringing it translates the best pretty AHL well. Pairing. Don't get it twisted. But I will say, you know, the Rangers, even though they're fast, even though they have four decent lines, I thought, especially in game one, Ottawa was pretty clearly the better team. Like, not only did they pound the Rangers with shots, I think they had something like 45 for the game, but they looked faster. They won most of the puck battles, you know, and they were just offensively more coordinated than the Rangers were. And it was really only Henrik Lundqvist that kept the Rangers in game one. Yeah. And I think that we are now like seasoned enough hockey playoff watchers that like we can recognize the signs of uh, their goalie is going to steal this one. We know when it's happening now. Like we don't just sit there being like, are they going to score? Like in my mind, I was like, oh yeah, Lundqvist is like going to post a stupid shutout or something. This is <laughs> I can already see where this is going, and I'm already like mentally preparing myself for the disappointment that goes along with dominating a game you don't win. Yeah, and um, and it was it was a weird kind of start to that one in game one. Like it was in the rink, it was like really bad vibes. Um, because on the one hand, you know, the, you could tell that the place wasn't sold out. They hadn't even put towels out for the top rows in the corners of the 300s. Mm. Um, during the pregame lineup announcement, the PA guy, not Stuntman Stu, the other PA guy they have sometimes, announced Anton Stahlberg. <laughs> it was like, oh, that's not a good sign. Um, <laughs> there was all this booing during the U.S. national anthem. Uh, and, you know, it didn't sound good at all, although apparently I saw someone on Twitter explain, no, it was a guy in our section who was booing when they showed Lundquist on the scoreboard, and we thought it was disrespectful, so we all started booing him. And it was like, you idiots, <laughs> it just sounds like you're all booing the national anthem, which is not a good look. So that wasn't good. They tried to get the crowd fired up early with the kiss cam. The kiss cam went two for six. Like, it was just really, really bad vibes, and then you sort of got the feeling that Lundquist was in the process of stealing the game and you know people are starting to chant like Henrik at him trying to phase him out which <laughs> which always works I, I understand why people do that I mean what athlete that you know has played at the top of their game for 10 years does not immediately mentally fall apart as soon as they hear 10 guys or you know a bunch of people shouting Henrik I was just like that is bad mojo to do that when the guy's like pitching a shutout because you're just feeding into it like wait until oh, he gives up five goals before before you start trying to get in his head. Oh, absolutely. Like, I don't think this guy's going to take, you know, 100 mile per hour pucks at his face all day. But like, you can definitely rattle him by like singing his name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Daryl Strawberry wiping away a single tear. That's Henrik yeah. Lundqvist when you start trying to chirp him. So game one, basically the story of the game is Henrik Lundqvist. Up until the very end of the game, when the story is as usual, very much Eric Carlson. Uh-huh. And I love that in this game where Henrik Lundqvist was having one of the finest games of the playoffs, Eric Carlson ruined it by banking a shot in off his head from behind <laughs> the goal line. And you're sitting there and you're like, what can't this guy do? But it was also a very subtle way of Carlson nagging Lundqvist the next time they are teammates in international play. Because as far as I know, they're, you know, good friends. Uh, my understanding is everyone in Sweden is friends. So I'm assuming that Lundqvist and Carlson are no exception. And by banking the puck in off his head, he's basically saying, I can do this at will, but don't worry. Next time we play together, I'll protect you, unlike your current defenseman. Uh, but just know <laughs> that if I want to bank a puck off your head, I will. We're best friends, yeah. and when we play together, I will help you. But just know, it's a, it's a very effective negging technique, and I think you saw it got in his head uh, going forward. Yeah, Eric Carlson with like the soft power alpha move there. You know? <laughs> he, he didn't like put Henrik on a poster, 
But he did, like, take a picture with him and, like, was significantly taller at the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He out-angled him. Yeah. So, uh, after the dizzying highs of Game 1, tell me about the terrifying lows of Game 2, Chet. (laughs) Game 2 was kind of the exact opposite of Game 1 for most of it because they took all the momentum that they built from dominating the Rangers in shots and grinding Henrik Lundqvist for long enough that they finally managed to pull out a tight 2-1 victory in Game 1. They took all that momentum... And you could tell by, you know, the first 30 seconds of the game that they just thrown it away. Like, they were slower than the Rangers. They were sloppy. It, it didn't feel like a game for pretty much all of it that anybody really thought they'd win, even when, you know, they could pull within a goal. Like, they'd given up two shorthanded goals. Anderson uh, had looked fantastic for stretches, but then it was like he'd completely drained his battery, making all these headstand saves in the second period, and there was nothing left. And so he was letting in a bunch of soft goals. And I'll be honest with you, I never thought they were going to win game two. Yeah, as much as game one was a goaltender duel, game two was a goaltender shoot yourself in the foot. You know, people were getting on Craig Anderson for giving up five goals, but he also faced almost 50 shots by the time that game was over. Uh, Lundqvist faced a lot less than that. Anderson faced more shots, but like wasn't letting the correct ones in. Like the goals <laughs> that he was letting in were all of the kind of weak sauce variety, which didn't make you feel any better about the shot totals. But credit to Craig Anderson. He kind of tightened the screws at some point and just decided, all right, I've given up five. I'm not going to let any more in. And that's kind of the way you have to approach Craig Anderson. He's going to look amazing. He's going to let in a couple easy goals, but then he's going to look amazing again. He really plays within a system of his own. Uh, which also includes handling the puck behind the net for no good reason whatsoever. Like, as much as, you know, we've all been trained to recognize the signs of, like, the other goalies stealing a game, we're also trained to recognize the signs of Ottawa's just not good today and are not going to win this game. And so I was completely, like, emotionally moved on to Game 3 until Jean-Gabriel Peugeot happened. <laughs> no, I was exactly the same way. All right, take the L. Even if they're down two after three, it didn't feel as life or death as being in the exact same situation in game two against the Bruins because they'd already won game one. And it was sort of like, well, if they lose mm-hmm. this one, you know, they're going to go to New York and, you know, they can get it back. And Lundqvist hasn't been great. So, you know, maybe they can get in his head and maybe they can use this and come back strong in game three. Uh, and so with three, four minutes to go, people are starting to file out to the exits. And, you know, at 5-3, that late in the game, you're sort of like, eh, do I want to beat traffic? And uh, you'd be surprised how many people how many people got up and left. On the one hand, I'm kind of like, can you blame them? And I think the answer to that question is an unequivocal yes. The answer to that is an unequivocal <laughs> yes. And Peugeot scored two goals in the last three minutes of the game, which is, uh, I still don't quite believe it happened. And they were not, and they were like tip goals from like long range shots. So, like, I guess J.G. Pajot is like, I'm going to the net, good things will happen, and they did. His, um, his second wasn't, was but his, ex- his third was a tip off a tourist shot. And I thought, looking at it, mm-hmm. you know, from the 300s, I thought tourists had it. And then once the hats started mm-hmm. raining down, I was like, oh, okay, everyone wants Jean-Gabriel Pajot to have their hat. Uh, so that's good. 
So after like a game full of bad goaltending, uh, bad play, multiple shorthanded goals given up by the Senators, kind of went into that overtime and said, okay, so this is going to last about three-tenths of a second before someone wins it, right? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Um, and to be fair, that nearly happened multiple times. Well, like I said, I mean, Craig Anderson, for I, <laughs> people have always said, well, he can be inconsistent, but if he has a bad game, he'll come back with a with a good next one. Like he'll just completely buckle down and, and pitch a shutout the night after he lets in seven goals because we've seen that happen enough. Uh, now he seems to be reducing the variance to kind of an in-game phenomenon where he'll look absolutely terrible for a period and then come back in overtime and just look fantastic, which is exactly what he did. And the longer it went, the more I was kind of like, well, I mean, as long as he can keep them in this, at some point, Lundquist is going to miss an easy one, uh, which as it is exactly what happened. We had to wait until uh, halfway through second overtime, but at least it finally happened. So are we willing to... Propose that this is no longer the Senators team you grew up with, and this particular Sens team has some mojo going on that uh, Senators teams of yore couldn't hang with, because in the second overtime period, Jean-Gabriel Peugeot skates down on a two-on-one, everyone in the building and watching on TV knew that Jean-Gabriel Peugeot was definitely going to take that shot. Yes. Um, there's never been a less likely pass on a two-on-one in history um you know that jean gabriel is just feeling himself to like a hitherto unseen level and this guy is gonna take it on himself to win the game well so and he... you're like when you've got a chance to win i definitely want my third line grinder center taking the shot instead of passing it off two-on-one but he already had his second career playoff hat trick going into overtime and mm-hmm. I don't know if he had looked at the stats at any point, you know, in the dressing room. But as we all know, they're going into that overtime. There had now been four playoff hat tricks, two by Peugeot and two by a guy named Daniel Alfredson. But nobody ever had four. So if you're going to do it, why not do it there? Like, you're right. There was absolutely zero chance he was going to pass. I still can't get over this game because, you know, you're not supposed to force overtime down two goals with four minutes to go. And then you're definitely not supposed to win that game in overtime because your third line grinder center gets a natural hat trick with his second, third and fourth goals of the game. I know, right? And Peugeot now has, if we look at the playoff stats, he now has more goals than Sidney Crosby. He has more goals than Alex Ovechkin. Uh, He has more goals than the entirety of the Chicago Blackhawks. (laughs) It's not a bad day. Can anyone in the advanced stats community tell me if that is good? Oh, my goodness. Um, They have shown through the playoff run so far they can win games in a lot of different ways. They can score early and hang on they can you know win late they can win in overtime they can now come back from a two-goal deficit with three minutes to go the one way they haven't shown that they can win that i would really like to see is six nothing (laughs) (laughs) i would like to see one game that is not decided in overtime by a single goal which so far has not been the case for the vast majority of the eight playoff games that they have had one of the big arguments against ottawa that smart people like to make was that uh, they won too many one-goal games in the regular season, and now that they've made it to the playoffs, they've just gone, oh, okay, watch this, and just played an entirety of like entire series of one-goal games, of which they have won six out of eight. Yeah, uh, and they've won four out of five in overtime. 
Obviously, winning games in overtime is a skill. What are you talking about? Uh, it's better when it matters. It's oh, called being clutch, Chet. So, looking forward then, how do you see the rest of this series going? Because I was driving home from the game, and I had TSN 1200 on, and somebody, I think it was Sean Simpson, said, well, you know, this is the last home game until next Saturday, which would be Game 5. And I was like, let's not get ahead of ourselves, Sean Simpson. I don't know that there's going to be a Game 5. I feel really weird about the Rangers as an opponent, because on the one hand, it's clear that they have a lot of forward depth, and some very scary players who are capable of putting up a lot of goals on Craig Anderson. At the same time, I'm kind of like, ah, the Rangers ain't nothing. <laughs> like, not that good. Well, if Lundqvist is not amazing, if he's, like, above average, I think the Senators can put up a lot of goals on the Rangers. And if Anderson is above average, I think he can keep them off the board enough that I think the Senators can, can outscore them generally. Saturday was a really good was kind of your ideal scenario where Anderson's not great, but the Senators can score enough to win. Because normally, and certainly in a series against the Bruins, for example, if Anderson had played that game, they would have lost uh, easily. Uh, and if momentum is a thing, which we have said in the past that we don't necessarily believe it is, you've got to think that <laughs> blowing that lead and then losing in overtime is maybe not the best mindset to be in when you're going back to New York down 2 nothing. if you're the Rangers. If Ottawa can play like easily their worst game of the playoffs, give up two shorthanded goals, and still win... You got a lot of work to do as the Rangers. I think I think that's right. Um, so I'm not really sure what adjustments they make going forward because I think they had already said, okay, we got you know really beat in terms of shots and puck possession in game one, so we need to tighten it up for game two. And I think they did. Like they were clearly the better team for the vast majority of game two, and it still didn't work. So at that point, you're sort of like, well, what do you do? I don't think the Senators will sweep the series. Like, I think they're going to go to New York and they're probably going to drop a game. But if they can come back next Saturday up like 3-1, I think that is an ideal scenario. Yeah, I mean, we're about to read a lot of uh, articles about how the series doesn't really start until the home team loses a game. Um, <laughs> and so from that criteria, the series hasn't really started yet. But if Ottawa does manage to win one game, if they win game three, look out. I'll settle for game four. If they win game four, I'm just as happy. They basically won game two by accident. So, like, maybe they can win game three by trying. Who knows? So what I'm hearing is that we, we agree that the Ottawa Senators have done the right thing by winning two games and we feel good about it. Is that where we are? Yeah, uh, I'm in favor of what's occurred so far in this series. <laughs> All right. Well, that um, is top, and top the, shelf analysis. At the very least, I think that there's a lot of people out there who have learned a very important lesson about leaving games early. <laughs> may it never happen again and and no dad ever left early again i get that there might have been people that had commitments they had to keep and they couldn't stay there till seven o'clock like you know i i will have some sympathy for that especially when a game goes into double overtime but if you're just leaving to beat traffic like come on you know anything can happen i mean at the very least you know if people did leave simply for the purpose of beating traffic first of all i bet their commute was great and second of all, like the Senators had the respect for the community to not win that game 
until double overtime. So people had time to get home and then watch it on TV. <laughs> but they also decided to save it for double overtime so for the true fans, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's basically like the uh, Patreon highest reward level victory. For those of you who can sit through five periods of this, we're going to give you something special. Exactly. Like one of those legendary Prince shows where he just like goes on after the show is over and then plays another three hours. Yeah. And I uh, would also like to point out just to those of you who left early to be traffic that I stayed until the very end of the game and then did what is a proud tradition for me, which is cheer for about 10 or 15 seconds and then run like hell. And I (laughs) and we made it out of the parking lot in record time. Sitting in the parking lot after a win is always like a billion times better than sitting in the parking lot after a loss, though, right? (laughs) You can sit in the uh, parking lot for at least another, you know, 40 minutes after a win and you don't care. Well, you and I went to the double overtime loss in game five, and it was a little bit of a different vibe leaving because yesterday it was just nonstop honking, flags, people hanging out their windows, cops are giving people high fives. Like it was a, it was quite a scene leaving the CTC yesterday. Uh, I recall when you and I left game five where they lost in double overtime against the Bruins. We were sitting in the car, windows up, listening to like sad Elden John songs. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was a little bit different. Is this already one of the more memorable playoff runs in Senators history? Because I feel like every playoff run definitely has like a moment or two. And this is the first playoff series I can remember where there's been like seven moments Um, oh yeah absolutely and i mean when they went to the second round four years ago i mean obviously there were a lot of moments in the hab series in the round one they lost 4-1 to the penguins and the only moment they really had was that alfredson tied it up when they were shorthanded at the end of game three i think it was and Mm -hmm. then greening scored the overtime goal to win that one and that was like a moment but it was in a series that they lost they have not been winning in the second round and they have not been even up to nothing in a series since the cup run in 2007. And I don't know that this is a cup run, but like it has been 10 years since they have even had this level of success. And that was probably not even accompanied by as many moments as we've had to this point. The moments to games ratio right now, if the advanced stat community can tell us, is it good? Because I think it I think it is. Yeah, it's, it's nearly one to one at the moment. That's a uh, that's definitely an above average ratio. If you're cheering for like one of these teams that kind of lives on the margins and like just does just enough that a uh, random variance can push them over the edge, you're going to have a team that basically has some extremely exciting coin flips night in and night out. And that's what we've got here, folks. This is not the same like relentless killbot team that uh, Brian Murray coached in 2007. And I'm not sure it's better, but it is more exciting. I can tell you that. I think you should be forced to tell Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, who just scored four goals in a playoff game, uh, how much you love random variants. How dare yeah, you? I was like, you're you're just uh, you're just a random number generator, <laughs> JG Peugeot. I'm <laughs> sorry to tell you, but uh, yeah, if you run this game ten times, you don't score four goals in nine of them. Yeah, you're you're basically just an extremely uh, hot blackjack dealer right now. I want you to know that. <laughs> yeah. And that fourth goal, that's you hitting on 19. Why did you do that? <laughs> I mean, it worked out, but you can't expect that to happen every time. Yeah, come on. You're ruining it for everyone. 
Meanwhile, the guy's going to the cage to cash out his chips with, like, two models on his arm. <laughs> oh, leaving game two was just like running out of a casino with an armful of chips. Just being, like, hoping they don't catch you. But I, I was just like, I can't believe they've tied this up. They still probably deserve to lose this thing in overtime based on the way they've played. But I was just like, if they win this one... Uh, not only are they up to nothing, but they've basically shown the Rangers that there's nothing they can do <laughs> to survive this series. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if they managed to pull this thing out in overtime? Don't think it's going to happen, but wouldn't it be, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be great? That was, that was the way that you were kind of in the back of your head thinking, even at the whole time you're like, oh, they're going to lose. They're going to lose. They're definitely going to lose. Mm-hmm. And but yet at the same time, say? I was like, even though I knew they were going to lose, I was like, yeah, they might not. Um, <laughs> There's I always think, a chance. Uh, this is a much more feel-good podcast than our last one. I will say that. I know it's it's weird how like you can have a double overtime game, and really your mood is entirely decided on who scores that last goal. It's so weird. And going forward, I don't even know what to do with a two-game lead. Like, should I be nervous if they lose a game? Maybe not. That's a wonderful luxury to have. Sense could still not win this series. I don't oh, want that's to, still like, a real possibility. Yeah. But again, do nothing lead in a series. Things are okay. Yeah, this is. The Sens fans have gone to the nice hotel for the weekend and have just ordered room service. Like, <laughs> we're treating ourselves here. Like, this is not a luxury we're afforded very often, and I think we should enjoy it while yeah. it lasts. And nothing was ever bad ever again. I tipped the waiter with a 10 because, you know, I think that's the thing you do. Pretend like I have money, you know? <laughs> they don't know any better. All right, folks, we're going to leave it there. Enjoy the good vibes. Let's hope they last. Let's hope they last forever. All right, we'll see you soon. Go, sons, go. System be with you. System be with you. See you later. For a couple of fellers who both still live with their moms Breaking the town's local hockey team down with some microphones on No other podcast was finer There was more of a hit with the big rig diners We never thought they'd make it past episode 5 Whoa, somehow these dudes named Chet and Paris are live Whoa, whoa, whoa A lot more Rangers whoa. jerseys at game 2 than whoa. game 1 And... Not only that, it was a lot of people like with American money. So clearly they had there were a lot of folks that had made the weekend trip to come up. I'm sorry that you didn't have a better time. I'm not. I know. Neither am I. <laughs> well, and the best part was there were I saw a lot of Rangers fans that were like, oh, 50-50, I'll buy that. And they're buying like the $20 ticket, but they're buying it with a $20 American bill. And I was like, ah, this is perfect because we it ends up sweetening the pot even more. Uh, you, you Rangers fans don't even understand exchange rates. This is great. Oh, I love this. Poor hapless Americans coming in being like, 50-50, those are great odds. <laughs> Just giving them all their money. Well, I said this before, but a woman, the woman directly behind me won the 50-50, like in the row right behind me, three seats over, and she was just elated. And when they were down five three, I was like, "Well, somebody's going home happy, so you know that can't be that can't be too bad." And everyone's like applauding her in the section, like, "Oh, congratulations, you won the fifty fifty. And I was like, "It's not a game of skill. <laughs> you can be happy for her. You don't need to applaud. You didn't do anything." Hey, hey, games on the ice, folks. Yeah, ice down here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh well. <laughs>